Pittsburgh Steeler fans, welcome once again to the show that gets you to put your butt into that black and gold DeLorean and go back in time with BTSC's one and only Marty McFly and Doc Brown. Well, how about Brian Anthony Davis and Tony Defio? Instead, we go back in time instead of talking about the future of Pittsburgh Steelers black and gold like we always do. It's time to go into yesteryear and talk about one of those games that we hold near and dear to our hearts. So my 1.21 gigawatt awesome friend Tony is here. Tony, what is up? This is a great year to go back in time to. If I had a DeLorean, I think I would pick 2005 in December of that year and start that journey all over again. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, you know what? There's so many things we would do with a black and gold DeLorean. You know what? I actually know who to ask out now who would have actually would have went out with me that I I was too dumb to even know it. I have have plenty of those too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy where I am, but I'm just saying, you know what? Hindsight is 2020. So if you could go back in time, it's awesome. And you know what? I would go back in time and I would say, hey, guys, listen to John Clayton. Listen to Dan Rooney. Take Dan Marino. It's going to be okay. Hey, guys, Artie Burns. No. (laughs) Yeah, those are two really good ones right there. The extremes on either end. We could say that, and that's really fun to do, but I'm happy with the black and gold 53 that we have now. I'm looking forward to so much coming up in breaking news on BTSC, and you could always get it here. But here's the thing. Every once in a while, you need a break from that and go back in time, and that's what we're doing. And this one is a special game because this was the start of the winning streak. So as I insert my mind's vial of plutonium into that BTSC DeLorean, Tony, I dream of going back to a happier time. You know, when I was growing up in Western PA, in Johnstown, a lot of my joyful times included snow. Watching my football heroes slide around in Arctic conditions really pleased my tweenish sense. So I still remember stuff like the Patriots in 1982 calling for the services of a snowplow operated by an ex-con in the final seconds of a December 1982 game to clear room for a winning field goal against Miami. And remember, Miami was a Super Bowl team that year. This even tells you, Tony, that even pre-Belichick, New England was morally suspect, Tony. They were always up to something, even back then. Yeah, that was... uh... Uh, kudos to the Dolphins for actually making it to the Super Bowl beyond that because the, the Patriots have been known to, with their shenanigans to keep people out of the Super Bowl. So the Dolphins at least overcame that. So let's go back in time, Tony, to a time when the Steelers were sliding out of the playoff picture and they needed a series of fortunate events to survive and eventually thrive. And that's exactly what they did. So off we go, my friend. Beep, beep, boop, 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 boop. That's the time circuits. December 11th. 2005. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire had just completed its four-week run at number one at the box office, being replaced by the Chronicles of Narnia. I'm a big Harry Potter fan, Tony. That was a great time for me. I, I really love that stuff. You? I was never I was never into it, but I was well aware of how, how popular it was. It was amazing how people uh, gravitated towards it, those series of movies. So it was uh, maybe something I'll have to check out one of these days. Also, Tony, America was just learning the news of the deaths of comedian Richard Pryor and former presidential candidate Eugene McCarthy. And the Steelers, they were reeling. In fact, they were in bad shape. The previous week saw one of the moments in Steelers history that kicked them in the butt. And that's when T.J. Hushmanzada wiped his cleats in the safety of the Hinesfield Tunnel. What a coward that guy was. With the terrible towel, morale was low, but that fired this team up. And that made Bill Cower say, after three straight losses, we're wiping the slate clean. 
you're a seven and five team. And so there's four games left in the regular season. Instead, your playoffs start now. You need to win eight straight games to win this whole thing. A loss at this point would have been lethal. And visiting Heinz Field was a team that was really tough at the time, the Chicago Bears. What were your thoughts of that time? Steelers had just lost three straight, Tony, and they were in bad shape. They were probably going to be out of the playoffs with one loss, even if other teams went on a roll. They really could have been out of this whole thing. Yeah, this was the uh, proverbial crossroads for them. I mean, they they had no no margin for error. I, I remember thinking it was it was pretty hopeless. Uh, that the Tuesday before the game, that's back in those days when the uh, Joey Porter show was taped every Tuesday in the Strip District. And my aunt called me right before the taping to say, "You want to come down and watch it with me?" And I said, "No, I'm not interested." I was I didn't have any confidence in them. And I remember local television news stations were actually visiting. Uh, sports talk radio stations asking those guys for for answers that's how bad it was around here and they were in eighth place and they they were mathematically it seemed impossible absolutely this this was a spot where you really thought that they were out of it after being in the afc championship game the year before you really thought they were they were doing well and they were and then that skid hit and it was just bad for this team at the time but cower knew exactly what to say to these guys this team had a lot of pride. They had some veterans, but they were young in the right places too. This was a good mix for this team and they were ready to roll. And this was very important to uh, the woman that would become my wife. At the time, she we had just been dating about a month. And when we started dating, the Steelers started losing. They were on that three game losing streak. She's very superstitious. And in the back of her mind, she thought I was going to break up with her because of the Steelers, because she was a jinx. And she actually started wearing (laughs) the same clothes on game day. And she started watching the games and her parents and family and friends were like, what's going on? Why are you watching football? You've never watched football in your life. And he's not even here. (laughs) He goes, well, it means something to him. So I want to know something about this team. And she started to get to know about the team. And so- this is the game that turned it around for her that uh, in her mind saved the relationship. There was no doubt in mine. That's a keeper. That's love right there. I've had girlfriends that say, why, uh, why are you, why do you care about football? Why don't you stop watching football? When I tell them I write about football and they say, you write about other stuff too, don't you? So you found yourself a keeper right there. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you. That's love. And we, when we do the Detroit lions game at the end of this season, you'll find out a little bit more about that story. That's where it's cemented that I knew she, I was going to be with her the rest of my life. But let's get back to this game. This was a situation for me that I never got to watch this game live. I was in my apartment in Frostburg, Maryland. The, the apartment owner would not let me get direct TV because I had to go ahead and put it on, on the brick outside. They had to drill into the brick and they wouldn't let me do it. So it was a nice apartment building, but no one could have direct TV. And I was in a situation where I couldn't watch the game. I thought I was going to be able to watch the game, but because it was an NFC game and they were playing the bears at home in Heinz field, instead of it being on CBS, it was going to be on Fox. And you also had living in Maryland, 
I have to compete with the, the Washington football team back then. They were known as the Redskins. And that was the time when they did double headers. Remember, so every week, CBS would have the double header one week. The next week, Fox would have it. And then so on and so forth. What happened was at one o'clock, there was no game whatsoever. The Redskins were playing at four that day, which meant that instead of putting the Steelers Bears game on, we got to see White Christmas. <laughs> and I was so angry at the time. And then when I started, then I, uh, I mentioned this to uh, the woman I was dating, and that's her favorite Christmas movie. And now it's become one of my favorite Christmas movies because I watch it every year with her. And she goes, well, White Christmas is a great movie. I'm like, yes, but not, in, not instead of the, <laughs> the Steelers. So I called my parents and they're like, well, this was right before game time and it was snowing there. They said, you know, you could drive down and it'll only take an hour. We could tape it. You could watch it late. I'm like, no, I'm just going to listen to it on the radio. And I did. And it was great because you get to close your eyes. You listen to Bill and Tunch and and go ahead and see it in your head that's exactly what i saw and i went back there were some things that i definitely knew that i had to go see after listening to this game on the radio so let's talk about this game steelers wasted very little time getting on the board ben roethlisberger he was employing the swing pass with much success 45 yards to willie parker then another 17 to heinz ward into the end zone seven nothing it was a lead on the first possession, something we don't see enough of in 2020. But back then, it was commonplace. That was a big deal, getting on the board first. What happened in this series and what happened on this play to Ward and even the, the big swing pass for 45 yards to Willie Parker? Oh, yeah. It was, it was a quintessential fast Willie on, uh, on that play. I mean, he, he was known for his speed, and it was, uh, it was, he just, it was just incredible how he, how he just burst down the sideline. He, he had a great block from... From Jeff Harding's, uh, Heath Miller threw a nice block, and then the the touchdown to Heinz Ward. That one, that was classic Heinz Ward, but the uh, the spin move and the second effort to get into the end zone on a little on a little bubble screen, it, it was a, it was a fantastic start, and they they sorely needed it uh, coming off a three game losing streak. Absolutely, I tell you what, I fell in love with Willie Parker that year, and I remember the beginning of the season. This is your third string running back. You were expecting big things from Deuce Staley and Jerome Bettis. And I was at the, uh, actually, I was at the exhibition game against Washington um, a couple weeks before the season started where Bettis got, he got beat up and banged up a little bit. And Deuce, uh, I don't really know what happened to Deuce, but earlier, late in that week, we found out that Willie Parker is going to be starting at, at running back. We're like, who is this guy? I know I remembered him from last year, but, but I was thinking, man, this is not the way you want to start your season. So that was a big deal. And Willie, he came through and showed what you do when you have a great scouting department. We talked about Bill Nunn going into the Hall of Fame and how he scouted players from different places. I know this was uh, one of the, uh, the Rooney family members. It might have been Tim. I'm not sure who it was. Scouted him at North Carolina. And I think they were there to check on somebody else. And they had a relationship with the, the Tar Heels coaching staff. And they're like, you really need to check out this guy. Because I think his senior year, he only rushed for about 200 yards. Willie Parker was absolutely magic, Tony. He was. And, and he would be obviously become a very valuable member for their team in 2005. And over the next couple of years, he, he became one of the premier running backs in the NFL for a few years there. And 
And as you said, he wasn't even a starter at North Carolina. So it just goes to show you what, what scouting can do and, and what being in the right place at the right time. Everything's all about timing. And, and Willie Parker found a great home here. He absolutely did. So the Bears decided, hey, we're a good team too. We've got Kyle Orton and we're going to counter. And they did counter that Steeler touchdown. They went on an 11-play drive that took the ball all the way down to the Steeler two-yard line. But Clark Higgins, here was a guy that was really good for this team. He's one of those black and gold unsung heroes that he never went to a Pro Bowl, but he was always a champion for this team. And Clark Higgins sacked Orton for an eight-yard loss, limiting Chicago to a field goal by Robbie Gold. So it's seven to three at this point. Yeah, Clark Higgins, we, we talked about him last year, I think at the, big, at the onset of the retro show, how he was one of their uh, unsung heroes over the years. Here's a guy who, who started for them in, in the Super Bowl year, and, and, and you know, he kind of gets lost in the, uh, in the shuffle of all the great outside linebackers that they've had over the years, but he was a very valuable player for them at the time that he played here. He absolutely did. Tony, what we're going to do right now, we are going to see how this game shapes up. Right now, it's 7-3. to three. What will happen in this game with the Steelers and the Chicago Bears with that tough defense in the driving snow? We're going to find out right after this on the Steeler Retro Show from BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Stick with us. Welcome back to the Steelers Retro Show. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. Alongside me is my good friend, Tony Defio, Hall of Famer from BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Good to have you along with us, Tony. Good to be here. I'm having a great time uh, reminiscing about this game. It was a pivotal point for the Steelers in their uh, Super Bowl 40 year. Once again, the Steelers were on a three-game losing streak. They were reeling. They were 7-5. and five. Bill Cowher told the team in the locker room, we're wiping the slate clean. This is your playoffs starting right now. You have eight straight games to win. You cannot lose a single one of them. We'll take it a week at a time. But remember, you cannot lose. And this team took that to heart, and they ran with it, Tony. And the first game was against the Chicago Bears that had that vaunted defense with Brian Erlacher. This was a solid football team, and they were really dangerous. And the Steelers never did that well against the Chicago Bears in their history. So this was a game that was making people in Steeler Nation very, very nervous. So once again, Tony, we are in December, December 11th of 2005, and let's get back to game action here. In the second quarter, the Steelers did strike again. It was Jerome Bettis this time. They had great running backs. We just talked in the first half about Willie Parker. Now, Jerome Bettis capped off a nine-yard drive of 73 yards with a one-yard score. And at this point, it was 14-3 Steelers. There was much rejoicing. My gosh, you had Deuce Staley on this team. You had Veron Haynes on this team. Willie Parker, Jerome Bettis. Man, you've got running backs galore. This is a running team. This is vintage Pittsburgh Steeler football, Tony. Yeah, Bill Cowher, who loved to run. I mean, he was, you know, he, he was a disciple of, of the late Marty Schottenheimer, who passed away last week. And, and this was probably one of his, his uh, best backfields that he ever had. I mean, this is people talk about how the Steelers can uh, have a, a great backfield by committee or a great backfield period with, with uh, great depth. Well, here's a, here's a great example. You have 
Fast Willie, he was a starter. You had Jerome Bettis, a future Hall of Famer, who was your uh, your short yardage guy and your and, and your one of your team leaders. And of course, Stu Staley and, and Veron Haynes, who was a very valuable guy who always came up with with clutch uh, uh, third down catches and and, and runs. So this was a, a fantastic uh, stable of running backs. I'm a very big fan of Veron Haynes. I had the opportunity to drive Veron Haynes to and from an autograph session a couple hours in the car each way right after the Super Bowl. And I had some great conversations with him. We didn't talk much football at first. And then I asked him one football question. I'm like, I don't want to ask you too much, but I got to ask you about that 2005 season. And this was actually right after the Super Bowl. He's like, man, you can ask me anything you want. I love talking about it. <laughs> That's and, awesome. And he, he was such a valuable player for that team too. Uh, Veron Haynes, one of the guys that you don't think about, but so valuable to this team. He was their third down back that year, and he was valuable. He he started a couple games for them that year, uh, and I, I think particularly in against Cleveland at Heinz Field on a Sunday night when uh, uh I guess Willie Parker and, and Bettis and, and and Deuce were all hurt. He 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 played a great game that game. So yeah, he was a very valuable valuable guy like they had over the years, like like uh, like a Moel Day Moore. They always they always used to come up with those kind of. Uh, Third, third down back, but they, but they could fill in and start whenever, whenever you needed them to. That's right. And I was at that game. Come to think of it, Randall L. threw a touchdown pass in that game. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Charlie Batch had some action in that game as well. So with that being said, good memory. I'm glad you told me that because I left that completely out of my noggin. Yeah, I forgot all about it myself. But when we started talking about about Haynes, I, I I remembered he had a big moment for them that year against the Browns. Then it all came flooding back. That's what's so great about this show. Absolutely. So it's fourteen to three at this point, Tony. How are you feeling? Because you know the snow's coming down. You know how you've got the bus, but it doesn't really have snow tires, so you don't know if that bus is going to go because buses are usually rear wheel drive. You're you're not sure what's going to happen. And the Chicago Bears defense, they were hard hitting, led by future Hall of Famer Brian Urlacher. I mean, you had guys like that, that that were going to just knock you in your tracks, Tony. Yeah, I was I was feeling good with the 14 to three lead, but I was also a little little weary of the of the Bears. I mean, they were they came in on a hot streak. I think they won six, seven, eight games in a row. I forget what the broadcaster said when I rewatched it the other day, but they were they were on a roll. And this was a team that looked like it was going to win its division, which it ultimately did. So this was a, this was a, a true playoff team. So I, I wasn't feeling I was feeling good, but I wasn't overly confident either. After the half, the weather worsened as the field got whiter and whiter. However, Jerome Bettis, we just talked about him. He stayed hot. Bettis scored again from five out to make it twenty-one to three. Now the play may be one of the signature images of Bettis's Hall of Fame career. And we talked about Brian Erlacher. He lame-basted the perennial tough guy, Erlacher, on his way to the end zone. It was a case of the irresistible force meeting the immovable object. Guess what? The immovable object got moved, Tony. Oh, it was fantastic. This was uh, the, the moment of Jerome Bettis's career as far as a quintessential moment. And I guarantee you there's every other man cave in the in the Western PA area and Steeler Nation in general probably has a picture of this of this play uh, on its wall. This is this is. You said Erlocker's our future was the future Hall of Famer, but then again, so was Bettis. And and uh, if if there's anything he, he liked to do, it was run people over, and and he got to do that to one of the best right here. So hats off to Erlocker for giving it a shot. But but when when Bettis smelled the goal line, there was no stopping him normally. 
And it's funny because Erlacher smacked him. Yeah. Yeah, he had he had a clean shot and he still he still put him on his back. It, it was uh it was fantastic. Would you call this a ragdolling? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh I'm I'm not familiar with that term, but 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 it was uh it was it was definitely a, a, a pancake. To me, Erlacher, I'm gonna explain the term uh, best I can in my black and gold brain. Erlacher comes and as soon as he's hit, he just falls like a, a ragdoll. It's like he wilted. And this guy was a tough monster of a man. He was awesome, but he got just snowplowed. So the bus turned into a snowplow in this game, Tony. <laughs> That's right. Uh, during during the, uh, the 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 game, uh, guys like uh, um, Chris Hook were saying, "Put the put the put the, put the snow tires on the bus," and that's exactly what they did. So you talked about the pictures in the man cave. I'm looking at the picture right now on my computer screen. And it's Erlacher on the ground, Bettis moving right there, and another guy coming in to try to help out. Black and gold, number 66, new Hall of Famer. Alan Fanica's in this picture, too, so it's pretty awesome to look at. Uh, Fanica's in there with an assist, but it was all bus from the beginning. It almost looks like Fanica is giving bus a push. <laughs> Fanica, he was he always had came up with the timely blocks, but... Uh, certainly the bus didn't need one on this play. He, he, uh, as you said, he had the snow tires on and, and, uh, uh, he ran over Erlacher uh, pretty good. In the fourth, here comes more snow and Orton briefly came alive. He was dangerous. Like I said, he hit Desmond Clark for 27 yards and then Bernard Berry in the speedster for another 45. Then Thomas Jones, he was a pretty good running back. He's one of those guys, he's not going to go into the Hall of Fame, but he was good for many a year in the National Football League with a few different teams. Probably his best was with the, the Bears, but I know he was good with the Jets and the Arizona Cardinals as well. He scores on the very next play. But Gold's point after in the snow was a no-no. It didn't go. They didn't go for the two-point conversion. It just They just missed. So it's 21 to nine. And that was all that the bears were going to be able to muster up. The Steelers ended up winning this game by a score of 21 to nine and moved on to battle Minnesota for another of Cowers one game playoff games the next week. And each week you started to feel it more, more and more. Eventually, Tony, you know, the story, they won all four of those games. Then they won four actual playoff games to improbably win it all as a sixth seed. One of the first teams to do that. I got to tell you, it was absolutely an amazing time, Tony. And this is the game that kickstarted that drive. Absolutely was. And, and I mentioned earlier how I, I didn't want to go to the Joey Porter show when my aunt called me the night or the week before the Bears game. But I went to every single one after that. It was, uh, which each, each passing week, I, got, I started to believe more and more. I was 33 at the time, but I felt like a little kid. It's, it's one of those periods that I'll never forget. And the way that they did it, overcoming the odds the way they did, you know, don't forget, they, they had to play three NFC teams out of the four games down the stretch. So as far as making up uh, tiebreakers, I mean, it was, they needed a lot of help and, and uh, they needed the, the, the Chiefs to lose, needed the Chargers to lose. And then, but, but once they got in the driver's seat for that last seed, they didn't look back. They, uh, they, they, they beat up the Vikings. They, they blew out the Browns. They, they, they beat the Lions. It was, it was a great way for them to get uh, to finish out the season. And, and again, it's, it's something I'll never forget that it's 
one of those magical times that it'll be hard for, uh, for any team that, that I root for the rest of my life to duplicate. But I hope I hope that it, it does happen again. But if it doesn't, I'll always have the, uh, the end of 2005. There's nothing like the Christmas holiday season when the Steelers are playing good football and when they're on a drive like that. And, you know, we had the 2020 season where they were falling apart after a great start to the season going 11 and 0, and then they were falling apart in December and you, you just, you know, you knew they were going to go to the playoffs, but you just didn't have that feeling. This is the game that started that feeling. And like you said, it was a magical time. We saw them just uh, completely embarrass Minnesota in Minnesota. They embarrassed the Cleveland Browns, which isn't hard to do, but I mean, they shut them out on Christmas Eve. That's when James Debo Harrison body slammed a guy. And I had an autographed picture of that, of him doing (laughs) that. And he body slammed that guy. And who came out this Cleveland fan that came out of nowhere on the field and he just walloped him. It was a, why he's not in the WWE right now, from that play alone, I'm, I'm shocked, but that, that was amazing too. And that playoff run, you know, it doesn't get, I mean, we can talk about every single game in that eight game stretch to lead to that championship. And I, that fifth ring is so special and everything about every single one of those games to me, man, it just melts my mind. I love it. And this is the game that for me will, will remain so special because I didn't get to watch it. Remember, I just got to see it recently because of the folks at McMillan and Wife that I got to watch the replay on their website. And so when I watched it this week, I was like, wow, you know, man, I I love that I finally got to see it. But I got to tell you, listening to Billy Hillgrove and listening to Tunchelkin and hearing that game and seeing Jerome Bettis do that to Brian Erlacher in my mind when I saw it for real I'm like yeah I've already seen this and it, it was one of those special things and I wasn't aware of the non-double header game and I was I did my Clark Griswold imitation uh, Bing Crosby and Danny Blanking K because I was so <laughs> mad about White Christmas now I think it's the most special movies too so I thank that Fox affiliate for showing white Christmas instead and not allowing me to watch this game. I thank the, uh, the uh, whoever the delivery guy is that brought me a Stromboli and wings out in the snow. And I got to go ahead and eat and listen to this game in my apartment all day long. I will never forget those memories, Tony. I would not trade this experience at all. This is the game, and I hope you enjoyed talking about it with us, BTSC Nation. Absolutely, uh, yeah. This is this is maybe my favorite time as a sports fan. Those those couple months there, and it, it all started on this night, on this day, I should say, December eleventh, two thousand five. And we're gonna get those nights again, but this one will always be special. That's what the retro show is all about. So for Tony Defio, my name is Brian Anthony Davis. We ask you to go ahead and be safe, be true to yourself, and always be behind the steel curtain. And remember, you could take us away. We don't mind, but you got to promise us we'll be back in time.